This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Material is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, my name is Timur Yumusakla. I'm the CEO of F. Schumacher & Company, a 128-year-old premium company for fabrics, floor coverings, and wall coverings based in New York. And what I love about materials is that in my first studies as an engineer, you know, I got to appreciate like what actually material can do for you. It's kind of like, you know, it's because it's, behind, it's below the surface, I think it has something magical to it. You know, what you can, like how you can bend steel, for example, what textures can make you feel, like, you know, alpaca scarves. And I think that once you go to a level of like the material itself, the really the product unfolds itself and and i think material is actually one of the biggest so and playing with material is one of the biggest sources of innovation particularly in a world like this where i think we're starting to bend the idea of what material is how do you honor your business's place in history, but still innovate with speed to stay competitive and ahead of the rest? Well, coming up, we're going to talk to the CEO of a 120-year-old interior design textile house and learn how they strike that balance. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto and Samantha Cortez. Hi, Timur. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Thank you for joining us. You know, I know you've been doing incredible work recently with Schumacher and they're in the business of textiles, and yet you came to it with no textiles background. How did you do that? How were you able to leverage what you did know, but what you didn't know, and get into such an industry-specific business? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, and thanks for the warm words. Um, I think it's the curiosity that drives me, and I think that you know when I came to F. Schumacher & Company, I came from a fashion e-commerce company out of Berlin. Before that, I was a consultant, so I had spent my times around from large steel plants to optimizing cookie production for um, a consumer uh, company, and then like at the fashion e-commerce company around like you know fashion textiles. But I think what drives me is the curiosity, and I think what helped me to get into this business is I spent a lot of time on the road. I spent time speaking to clients, a lot of people in the industry, and then it's for me like a puzzle. You should try to put together, like you listen in, you, like some of the sound bites and information re keeps repeating itself, but then you try to, you know, try to match it with what I've learned in other companies, different business models, but somewhat relatable. Even sometimes a steel company can be relatable to a textile company, believe it or not. Sure. Um, and I think at some point, like, you know, the puzzle started making sense for me. And then, you know, you have these pieces, you like, for the most part, while puzzling, you don't know where to put them. And then at some point, actually, it comes together and, you know, huh, it starts making sense to me. I think it's curiosity, it's listening, and then it's looking outside to other industries and cross-pollinating. Is that a word? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're consulting for so many years. 
how was the adjustment to just stabilize into a company and just be there for a few years already you've been with them? You know, um, one, I think it's not, I think it's, it takes a little bit of time, right? Because as a consultant, one, you change, you go from project to project, uh, your assignment is pretty clear, and you're working, your primary output besides good advice, hopefully, is slides. So there's some time to go, like, adjust to, um, you know, just operational business, right? So I had to go through a learning curve, which I was able to do at the fashion e-commerce company Zalando in Berlin. And I have to, I'm very grateful for the founders there who gave me incredible, you know, opportunity to learn and make mistakes. Um, I think the biggest difference is just, you know, it's on, it's in the execution. I think it's, you have to be willing to get your hands dirty, like, you know, rolling up your sleeves, packing your own packages, you know, doing the work yourself um, and making mistakes along the way. I love that packing your own packages. I, I sometimes have ended up doing my own drop shipping if I needed to. And, you know, obviously at the end of the day, you got to get your goods to your customers and you do whatever it takes. So could definitely um, appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think I 100% I, I agree with that. In the end, exactly what you said, it's whatever it takes, your customer comes first and their experience comes first. And I think sometimes, you know, as a CEO, you're most valuable at the packaging line. And that's where you have to be. And if it takes like two days a week, whatever, that's where you have to be. That's very interesting. I know actually I have a friend who works at Home Depot and she mm -hmm. says it's mandatory for every single employee to spend a certain amount of time literally on the floor in one of their stores. And that kind of experience, like you said, is so valuable from the CEO all the way down to a secretary or whoever. I mean, there is no order to it. They're all equally important. And it's actually appreciated by the other employees. They feel themselves that's equal. As in, you know, not necessarily equal because they all have different, you know, a, a, a different jobs and positions, but they feel themselves as in, wow, I have my, the CEO is here with us and he's, we, we need to make this work. I agree. And I think like, you know, particularly the people in our showrooms or like on the road selling or our designers, you know, or like in the marketing they're also such an incredible source of information for me, but for the company as well, because they day-to-day -day have the feedback with the customers, what's working well, what's appreciated, but also obviously what's not so appreciated. Um, you know, I spent like three years in like um, um, restructuring, so I think that's the wrong word, uh, but I think more, you know, optimizing a customer care, customer service business unit for Zalando. And what I learned there, like, you know, I think it's the, that's one of the biggest and most important channels where to get the feedback from. And I think it's very essential for every business leader, fancy title CEO, VP, whatever the fancy title is, you know, to be there and learn it and get it firsthand from the employees on the front line. And as I understand it, Zalando, that was obviously, you said, much more technology focused and digital. Yes. Um, but in, in any particular specialty, it was fashion e-commerce. What was its kind of advantages in the industry? Well, I think it's a fashion e-commerce company. It, it's now it was it was and it still is the fastest uh, growing uh, European startup ever. Wow. Um, I think it's now actually heading towards like four billion or five billion in revenue. Um, I the competitive advantage I think is that first mover is clearly one, but the other thing is that you know the three founders or like the three guys who are leading it now I think had a, such an incredible focus on customer experience and execution and always keep pushing one of this like and i'll never forget that is um think big act fast and they lived it 
And, you know, what these guys pulled off over eight years was just, like, I don't know, sheer amazing. Wow. Yeah. You did an amazing job in turning the business into into the bigger numbers. Mm -hmm. um, how did you come about that? How did how that how did you strategize to get that? Well, I think like you know at Schumacher and Company when I arrived. So uh, I said it's like it, we are like 128 years old. I think we are definitely one of the most one of the oldest. Like we're almost as old. As, I think we're a little bit older than Vogue. We are I think a little bit younger than Tiffany. I think we're one of the most or like longest standing design companies in the United States, right? So, you know, with legacy goes from, you know, we did the ball gown for Mrs. Roosevelt in the inauguration at the like 19 something. We did like the White House with Jackie Kennedy and all kinds of different things. Mick Jagger had our wallpaper, the Kardashians have it now. But what I realized is, you know, for coming from an e-commerce company, I took a lot of the learnings I got at the e-commerce company and transferred it to this 120 year old company, which I call now a restartup. Meaning we um, emphasized e-blasts, digital marketing, direct-to-consumer marketing, and just reaching out to clients directly and re-engaging. I think it's interesting to know like that we are selling to the trade predominantly, meaning we have a very, very loyal, almost fan group, but like at least loyal customer base. But it's not in the millions, right? It's a few thousand who come over every time and buy from us. And it's really important to engage with them inspire them so i think the key things i brought is like digital marketing is one more editorial focused marketing is definitely another one dara caponegro she's our creative director she was editor-in-chief at veranda before she was there already uh, before i arrived but she's doing such an amazing job just pushing that editorial and inspirational piece and you know discovering trends for us and the last thing is um we like also using more like i don't know modern tools like salesforce or other you know like um fancy tools startups are using to actually just optimize your sales um force and optimizing your sales approach but it's such an interesting balance right being in a startup not yet having the opportunity to be a restartup but in the first stages of a startup there's such a, a time value in doing that but a a time and cost in doing that, right? And I'm sitting here looking at this beautiful bulletin that Schumacher puts out with the most gorgeous kind of pictures and editorial, and, and it's it's stunning. And I'm sure your customers love it, but clearly there are time and costs associated with that. How do you balance that? And we always think about at what point, you know, you do want to get things done quickly and fast and cost effectively, but you do also want it to represent who you are and what you stand for. And obviously Schumacher, you know, my family who's been in the business 100 years, that's a name we know. Oh, and it stands for something so such luxury. Right. I, I don't know. I think I probably, <laughs> I don't, either you have a split personality or are good at compartmentalizing, but what I think is very important to us is, and I know like these days, you know, like it's everything is about the sales funnel and return on investment and conversion, conversion, conversion. Oh, you're driving me um, crazy. I, KPIs, well, I think, KPIs. You know, I think, so I think like, you know, 75% of the time it's about conversion and 25% of the time it's just not. And actually, I do feel, and that's what I learned at Zalando, but I think that was reinforced here at Schumacher. Customers these days actually highly value if you're not trying to push them through a sales funnel, and I mean pushing, but actually if you just try to inspire them and then they come because they just love it. I think it's not that it won't. It's not um, appreciated. I think it's just it doesn't 
get there as fast as people expect it or as other CEOs would expect it, like the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> like they'll, they'll will come through, it, it, you know, the orders at the, at, at the long run. And it's true. And what's that? I think it's Gary Vee or someone who said it's like the jab, jab, punch method, right? Where you tease them with something informational and wonderful and tease them with another piece of information. And then you go in for the kill, for the sale, for the deal. But once you've done that, you know, it, it makes it easier. And you're right. Then the numbers and the conversion do reflect that and it happens quickly. So how much of your time during the day is spent kind of crunching numbers and how much is it actually getting to kind of talk to customers, go fa visit factories and mills and like the bigger architecture? I actually do think that I try to spend actually 75% of my time not with numbers. Awesome. Um, because, you know, I'm an engineer. I worked at some premium car companies and things like that. And what I did learn in this time is you can, numbers are very important and they have to hold. And obviously everybody cares about what comes what is top line and what's bottom line, no question. But I also do think you have to look out for like some trends and just get them right. And then just don't worry too much about, you know, whatever happens, you know, like after the, you know, like you don't have to get into every detail of the number. And I think you just also can get lost here. So I actually try to spend 75% of my time on either thinking about strategy, spending with customers or spending with mills and figuring out where we're heading and what's kind of like where we want to take the company. I think, and I'm probably my, some of my colleagues would say I might be obsessed, but I think speed and innovation is super, super important. One, obviously it's a source of joy when it happens. You know, we just relaunched yesterday, for example, our product detail page, you know, it's super cool. Finally, it's amazing. What you know, is this? You guys product detail page on our website. So, Ooh. you know, we, it's more intuitive now. We have a digital memo now. Digital memo means you can download a spec sheet of the product very easily for your folders to communicate as an interior decorator with your designers. And, you know, it's these little things which we find just amazing. We just, you know, launched uh, two months ago a silk velvet, which is water resistant. Really? It's, yes. So, you know, you actually don't have to worry about but silk velvet is just like the very best. <laughs> but like, you know, on the other hand, you don't want to have like you spill a bit of water, you know, so that's exciting. We're coming out, you know, with a, a outdoor linen, the first ones in the market. So, you know, I think it's all of these things, which I just find super exciting. I find very exciting is your archive, 107 years of artwork, and you can just twist and change it and just uh, redesign around it. Can you talk to us a little bit about your archive? Yeah, we love our archive, you know. <laughs> I think like for the last, since Dara, I think Dara joined four years ago and, you know, Pam Marshall, our design director, I think has been with the company for five years and they're constantly going into the archives and they're still finding new gems. It's unbelievable. It's, um, we love it. On the other hand, you know, and I think we're recoloring a lot and bringing things back. Um, you know, we had collections with Frank Lloyd Wright in the 60s. We just relaunched that. We're working on something exciting again, like for January out of our archives, which was art, like more Art Deco time. Um, can't reveal it yet, but uh, we're very excited for it. Um, I think there's such a, it's also like a very important for us to root in our archives. You know, I think it's a, it holds, it grounds you. You know, like that, like the value of design and the timelessness of some of these designs. Um, on the other hand, you also have to be strong enough not to just go always back to the archives, right? So, you know, for me, the question is what's going to be our archives in 50 years? 
then when I'm not around anymore, what are going to people say in 50 years, what they're going to find from these days, what we just re, like invented, and they say, ah, oh, I'm bringing that back. But something we always talk about, you know, how so how do you as a business know then w what those innovations should be, right? I mean, you're, you're looking at these archives and you're paying respect to them, um, but you also want an eye towards the future vision, the future textiles. And you just mentioned a few, the silk velvet, the outdoor linens that you guys, how did you know that that's what you needed and wanted? Is it something that you surveyed customers to find out? Is it something, a whole you noticed in the market, kind of looking over at the big picture and what was missing? And, and how did you know to go into that trajectory? It's a combination I would say of three things. One, yes, you have to listen to your customers and like in particular interior design these days, performance and stain resistance is important. And outdoor product or as we call it, indoor outdoor product, which you can also use indoors, is important. You know, we put a lot of emphasis and actually labor of love into our product, but they're also not cheap. You know, it's premium, it's luxury things, it's silk velvets. Um, so I think one is like listening to the customers. The second thing is um, looking a little bit beyond the customer is also important, right? Not always the customer doesn't, like customers don't always know, same for myself, what I want because I'm not always in the details of it. So, you know, looking a little beyond. And the third thing is speaking more, and you know, like to your mills and beyond the mills, in our case, like yarn makers, you know, that is key because they are already saying, there's also this whole realm of like possibilities. And then and then you have to be brave and just say, you know what, we'll test it. And not everything has to work, but also like I think a lot of innovation comes from failure. So, you know, I think it's a combination of all of that. I actually think that the um, technology is not only about the computers and the fibers that listen to electronics or, or any into those details that, uh, that, that what you're doing right now it's part of technology. Yes. It's part of the, 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 the going forward into understand how, how far the fabric could go. Yes. Any particular noteworthy mistakes that you've made and learnings from that? Whether it was costly or not or, or big or not. You know, we found like two years ago, there's like this trade fair in Italy once a year. It's called like for fabrics. I think it has been around for 250 years or whatever. <laughs> the, maybe actually since the Medici's, I don't know. But anyway, so we <laughs> found this amazing, it's a cashmere fabric on one side and it's metallic on the other side. Um, it's very, very expensive. It's very beautiful. You know, like a lot of people actually started using it as like throws in our office. So we launched that. I think like we sold like three yards in the end. Um, um, because I think like, you know, our love of the fabric and the material got us carried away a little bit with it, <laughs> but we still love it. I think it's still one of our favorite products. It's just not suitable. Actually, if you think about it, have a two-sided fabric, it's actually not that easy. It's only for curtains really, if at all. And right. then at that price point, you know, so in the end, <laughs> it's not very durable. Actually, I think that didn't work, but yes, yeah, so, you know, we have like a few of these ones where we try to make special things which we kind of fall in love with, but sometimes, unfortunately, we're the only ones, really. That's fine. But, you, but part of the passion and loving what you're yes. doing and having that, and who knows, maybe in a few years that will be all the rage and you guys will have it ready to go before anybody else. Well, I, you know, I sometimes say I think we're more, sometimes more that I wouldn't rather be the heart of an industry than the brain, you know, because I think, like, you know, you have to have a heart in this industry. It's design. Good God. You have to love it. Yes. You have to push it. You have to be brave. And you have to go for it. And I think good things will follow.
So obviously something that's uh, kind of near and dear talking about passions and love to our hearts is this made in America. And clearly Schumacher has such an incredible presence and still does always has in New York, in America, um, any particular either initiatives or growth in that direction or in the business plan or in the materials you're putting out? Yes, uh, actually quite a few. I think for us producing in the United States and reinforcing and almost re-establishing craftsmanship about textiles and wallpapers and trims and floor covering actually is very important to us. The initiatives are we just launched with a, a super a talented designer, textile designer, Caroline Hurley out of Greenpoint. She is trying and we are trying to help her with that. And I think it's such a great thing to do a block printing mill in New Bedford. You know, I, you know, obviously like cost is difficult, you know, materials and all of that is difficult, but I think it's so important to bring back these trades back to the United States. The United States used to have a very big textile industry in terms of textile manufacturing, and a lot of that actually went overseas, but I, we can see a trend coming back. Other initiative is um, we just, um, we started to work with someone, we're thinking about working with someone who has like old Schumacher looms. And we are want to bring that back. It's, it's upstate New York. We are working more closely with our mills. We have we have one in Hoboken and the other one in, another one in New Jersey. We have one in the Floridas. It's becoming more and more important to work with them and bring back some of these ones. Um, woven or knits? Wovens. So okay. it's wovens and particularly prints. Um, so the United States is unfortunately not yet that strong comparatively to Italy, Belgium, and France in woven textiles. Mm -hmm. So for that, unfortunately, we still have to go back to the old world. Nothing against the amazing mills in Italy, France, and the UK, but I would love to have more of that in the United States as well. There are a few, but not that many. Where do you, where do you think that's lacking in the, um, the fiber or in the process of making the, the wovens? I think it's more in the process. Not 100% sure, actually, honestly. I think what happened is that there was a lot of cost pressure on it. And I think at the time, it was more cost efficient for American companies like ours uh, to buy overseas or to produce overseas. But I think we're like now, you know, bringing more and more of that back. Well, I'm getting a little bit hungry and I'm staring at some delicious food that you brought. Can you tell us what you brought us to eat? Yes, I brought, uh, Stephanie, you had said to me, like, you know, I should bring something I'm passionate about. So I brought two different things, right? Which are actually quite on the opposite of the spectrum. <laughs> I bought from my past um, Ferrero Rocher, the golden balls, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know how you call them. They So I, there was a time in my life where I consulted with a, a cookie company or like a chocolate company. And we were like, you know, trying to figure out how Ferrero makes these like very delicious things. And we learned, for example, I think that, you know, the inner of that thing, one, they're delicious, I have to say, and kind of unfortunately, probably they added like two, three pounds to my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what they is it? so good, <laughs> I cannot wait. But I think what is amazing about them is, you know, like actually, so I think the insert is the same as Nutella. So like it's the exact same. So like the company like out of Italy, like does an amazing job of like, you know, on one hand, streamlining their backend of the in like of what they do, and they just get so passionate about just this one recipe, and then they use it in all kinds of different products. So Kinder is another product of them. I think yes. they all are based on a very similar recipe. Um, but I kind of like love that, and but it also shows like you know the 
between mass production and they're clearly mass produced, they're mass produced, they have like several production facilities around the world. Um, on the other, but on the other hand, just being delicious. The other thing I brought is apples from upstate New York. Organic, labor of love, not waxed. You know, if you don't eat them, they will be gone in two weeks. They're not going to hold out for like two years, as some of other apples do. <laughs> and I tell you, they're just also so delicious. And I kind of like getting more and more around these homegrown um, vegetables and fruits. So if we eat both of them, they're going to counterbalance each other, right? The healthy totally. and the dessert. Perfect. One, one, apple a, one apple a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, you'll hear about textiles applying in the physical world. But then how do you translate that into the digital world? Back after this. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Okay, so Timur, obviously... Textiles, it's such a tangible, physical, incredible materials. You need to touch it to feel it in so many ways as a designer and as a creative to understand it. But obviously around the world, if you're a global business, you can't have showrooms and be in every place and not everyone is next to a garment district. How do we navigate that? And what kind of tools can be put in place to help people understand textiles in the digital sphere? I agree with you that I think like not all designers are like obviously close to a showroom or a design center or a garment district, right? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, for an industry like us. You know, a couple of thoughts to that. I think on one hand, you know, like Netta Porte and Mr. Porter has shown people are willing to buy very expensive products online with never have been able to feel them. For that, I think they need the comfort that they can return it if it doesn't work, right? So you have to work around, you know, if you buy a leather jacket for, you know, shish millions, you want to be able to send it back if you don't like it, actually. So I think that's an important, like, just way to think about it, that, you know, it's not just one way if you buy expensive product, you always have to be able to return it. Otherwise, it's not going to make people feel comfortable. Second um, is, um, for our case, to keep in mind is that interior decorators, it's their business. It's what they do 8, 10, 12, sometimes 14 hours a day. You know, so they actually like to be, with the product and they also have to convince their homeowners so one of our most important um vehicles so to say is like our samplings right so we put a lot of emphasis and i think like we're even more and more like you know putting more emphasis in how do we get samples out to our customers and how they can discover our product so a couple of things we did there is one we relaunched our website two years ago with a very, very searchable catalog. You have, I think like you have like 10 different types of filters. If you look for like a yellow floral cotton 
high durable product. You can all look for that. Not sure if we actually have it. So, <laughs> but if we have it, well, you can. But like, you know, maybe we have it. If you if we have it, you'll find it like that way. So it's very, very fast. And we see that people using that a lot. Second thing is um, then making sure that they get the memo as fast as we can. I think that we have still some way to go. But I think, you know, there are ways to get it into people's hand very quickly. Memo is a physical memo or like a sample. But there's probably a lot of advantages too, right, in having that online presence because you're getting all that data and analytics. What are people searching? What is trending? Um, you know, what are people looking for and can they find what they need and how quickly are we getting it to them? So I always say too to some people, like there, there is a huge value too in the digital sphere for both sides, both for the end customer as well as for the, for the design, the company to, yes. that's doing the textiles. Yes, we're not there yet. <laughs> You said that most of your um, your clients um, are interior decorators. Mm -hmm. What do you do around uh, around that arena to cater to them? Besides, like provide them with prototypes and swatches as soon as they need them. Is there anything else? Do you do any certain activities, design services, design or services? any add-on value? Yeah, I think yeah. you know. I think we. I think. One uh, one of the most important things I believe, like for interior decorators and all the interior decorators listening, hopefully agree, is like one is inspiration, right? So we, I think we're providing through the bulletin, through our website, through um, you know our Instagram feeds. We're actually like very active on Pinterest and these things to give like very broad inspiration. One second um, is um, that um, we try like we try to promote them so it's very important for decorators also to get their own word out so we actually increasingly and we're actively looking for decorators to reach out for us and we'll we'll feature them on instagram or feature them in our e-blasts or feature them even on the bulletin we actually we have currently a competition going on for the next bulletin coming out in february the title like the cover is going to be like an interior decorator on instagram and what they have posted on instagram and whatever the best one is we have like three judges and that's going to be on the cover and then I have one more. I think what is also very important, I think it's a business, and I think that's important to keep in mind with decorators. So we really try really hard, and I think we can get – I think we're really doing good, and like all of my colleagues on the ground doing an amazing job. But also I think we can get better every day in making a very seamless and risk-free transaction. You know, you don't want to worry about where is my rug, where is my fabric. You want to know where it is because you have to make your homeowners happy. And I always – Tal and I really believe it. If our interior decorators are happy with us and their homeowners are happy with them, they will come back. If our interior decorators win with their clients, they'll come back. Do you do any customization for them? We do. We do, um, particularly, but you need a certain amount of yardage. So I think if you order like 25 to 50 yards, yes, we do custom colors. We do, we can change the quality if you need to hit a certain price point. If you do hospital, if you do restaurants or if you do a boutique hotel, also, if you do large hotels, if you want to, we are pretty good at that. And 25 to 50 yards, that's not bad. I mean, when we're no. doing with custom requests sometimes and we're looking at I mean, it's thousands of yards more. That That's obviously very manageable, I think. But it's like super key. And I think like to emphasize that as, as a company and embrace it even, you know, the, our interior decorators have like an incredible vision of what they want to do, right? And sometimes they just can't find the right orange or right blue or whatever, it's our job to make it as possible as much as we can that they can bring their vision to life and that they make their mark with their designs because that's their product. And so we're embracing that. And I think we're going beyond the possible, human possible, to make that work as much as we can. 
with the customization, is it just with respect to colors and prints that they're looking for? Or can you also do custom blends of the fibers and, and change your base products at all? We can. That's most of the time not as much necessary, right? But we can, right? Okay. So I think we definitely, it's more that if you need to hit a certain price point, for example, let's say you do a boutique hotel and you need curtains with us right so sometimes you need like a thousand yards right yes at that point you definitely go back into construction and we're going to show you different constructions to meet certain price points and i think we are getting better and better to understand like yarn constructions spinning what's the difference between belgium linen and moroccan linen and what is the difference uh so belgium linen you know is has the crops grown in belgium have very long fibers so if you spin them, they are not as itchy, they are much softer, they're much more durable, because if you spin them together into a yarn, the long fibers better hold together. Interesting. That's interesting, because we were talking um, with our other host here about the stencils here on cotton, mm -hmm. that considering the weather, mm -hmm. the cotton that they found in the U.S. are growing with longer stencils. Yes. Very unusual. Yes, and it's very, like, for example, American cotton is very good cotton. Yes. Right? So, yeah, so, you know, I like also like wool. It's New Zealand wool. That's the best by far. Longest fibers. And our alpaca is amazing. Well, alpaca is, like, just incredible. <laughs> but it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, thinking about that, though, right, too, in terms of customization and pricing and everybody, especially these days, given whatever is going on with the political, social, economic world, People are watching and monetizing differently. The spending habits maybe have changed a little bit at the same time. I think, what was it, Louis Vuitton just had like a record year. Mm -hmm. You know, people are still consuming and they are still consuming luxury. Has that changed a little bit? Anything of the positioning of Schumacher? I know you're in the luxury high-end business as you're looking towards the future of where you, as the business are going and where interior design going. Is it important in some respect to offer lines that are less expensive or is it just to buy less but still still high quality or what What would be the kind of the future direction? Mm, I think we're still actually, to be honest, and I'm always, you know, we don't know 100% yet. We're still f trying to kind of like define that as we see the change happening. In general, I would say, you know, we, I think, are the oldest, I think, like American fabric house, fabric wallpaper, floor covering house, um, and we want to do beautiful product and beautiful and we want to like rather emphasize the craftsmanship right so i don't think for us to go very like and sell you know like the most like i don't know mid-price low-price product is not the right thing for us because it, like we couldn't actually emphasize the vision we have right so i think we are rather looking for more special more craftsmanship in general um i do you think that we are, in, but on the other hand, I think it's very important that we also offer, you know, our customers good product, good value for what they get. So, you know, I think we're spending a lot of time figuring out, you know, how do we get like, you know, the best value to the customer? And I think that's a very big thing for us. Um, I also think that customers are more and more willing, you know, to spend, you know, like a certain amount of money to get a Schumacher sofa, to get Schumacher pillows. You know, you don't have to spend like all of it on us. Um, but I think our, some of our products are, you know, we have hand block prints, which are, you know, made with like 60 different blocks. And yes, it's expensive, wow. but, you know, it's a it's a over 100 year old pattern 
It's been started and made. It was made in the UK, and you know, so it's very, very important to us as a, just as a general. Like it's a business objective for us to offer these pieces of love. So how how do you keep that? We always talk about that kind of craftsmanship and artisan alive. And is it in the storytelling? And are they continuing to train people who can do that sixty block printing? I mean, I didn't even know that many blocks. I can't imagine. No, they make like eight the yards. A, one person makes eight yards a day. Eight yards a day. Yes. Wow. Yes. It's incredible. That is. So So to convey that both to the interior designer yes. and to the end customer, is it in the storytelling? Is it in the, you know, to understand it? Or is it just it's so beautiful it stands out on its own? I think it's both. I have to, Honestly, I think it's both, right? So I think one, you know, I think, yes, you have to tell the, uh, tell the story, right? So you have to be able to say, hey, you know, this is why it's hand block printed and things like that. But... There are hand block prints who just, you know, you're not going to never notice that they're actually hand block prints, you know. So, you know, so I think the product has to be designed for that purpose as well. Well, my passion has always been embroidery and I, um, and that's my uh-huh. line of, of work. So do you guys work a lot with embroidery at all or it's mostly? Yes. We love embroidery. I think it's embroidery is, you know, I think it adds a different, coming back to the material part, it adds a different dimension to the whole thing. So we, Absolutely. you know, Again, coming back to the point of like, you know, not always being the brain, but rather the heart. <laughs> so we just, you know, found in our archives and in all over embroidery, um, which we called Jerry after one of our CEOs, you know, <laughs> a little bit of homage to him. It's an all over embroidery. It's mostly hand embroidered, some little bit machine embroidered, like mostly hand embroidered. It's amazing. And, you know, like the texture is like, it's, it's heavy, mm-hmm. but, you know, you can do so much. We actually now on took our like embroidering on wallpapers. It's a super exciting thing. Really? I did. I started that, I would say, five or six years mm-hmm. ago when I did the customization mm-hmm. for clients. But still, yeah, it's amazing. I had one of the one of the artists that was did an amazing job. And she did customization on wallpaper. Yeah, I, I think, like, you know, I think there's, you know, I that's a kind of going back to the very beginning of, like, you know, the session was, you know, being if you be curious, there's so much out there. There's so much fun out there. Like, you know, so... You know, but now we're like, you know, embroidering. Now we're kind of like experimenting with like gluing things on top and kind of like, you know, all of these things. It's just like, you know, you just have to push the envelope on that. And it's, I think it's exciting. And I we feel that embroidery is definitely part of that excitement. When they did the denim jackets recently on uh, the jacquard. Yes, that jacquard. So I was, I, I looked at that project and I said to myself, wow, why don't they do that on, on sofas that you're, to your own control you know like you control the tv with your new technology onto embedded into the fibers Fibers and and it's like sorry explain to me again what do you like what is the exact technology i haven't seen it um the project jackard Mm -hmm. that was done by levi's Mm -hmm. and um google Mm -hmm. and it was about embedding um technology into the fabric Mm -hmm. and they actually i think they developed it recently right now for the um jackets Mm -hmm. so when you're turning in in your car i mean in your uh, bicycle you can just maneuver Mm -hmm. it speaks to you the directions directions and everything but i was just curious because what um, when they did come out with it i said why didn't they start with a sofa 
you know, a sofa and, and, and a chair where they could just embed it into the fabric. It's something that's resistant, doesn't need that much wash. And Probably not as cool, though, as yeah. like a biker jacket and you're yeah. on a motorcycle and you can get your directions a little more storytelling. But it's, right? it's about the technology. I mean, that was like a few years ago. We right. would have been able to start that and then, in, you know, in, and incorporate it later on to the biker jacket. No, it opens you know, up a lot that. of room and it'll be interesting to see in interior design where this potentially has a place and if there's anything you guys are looking at That's from rare. a tech perspective. Absolutely. Yes, I think like you know, I think it's a very interesting field for us, right? Like to understand, you know, like are there fibers, you know, who actually we like, you know, I don't know if they're LED lights or we could like have, you know, like electricity flowing to some other devices and things like that. Or you embed like certain signaling into them or, you know, they change their color with like temperature and things like that. Right. I think or I think in particular in fabric and wallpaper is also a lot about insulation of rooms and, you know, how do they change kind of like, you know, the, the sound or like the humidity level. I think it's super interesting. I, you know, I unfortunately, I think like we do not have like, you know, as much you know, like our RD spending, we're like, a, you know, while we're 128 years old, we are still family owned. Fortunately, not Google or Alphabet. <laughs> right. So I think like, you know, I, I think it's going to be very interesting. It's going to come our way. But I also feel the interior, interiors world is always one step behind the fashion world, you know, um, also because one thing to keep in mind is like interiors like are very long lasting products, right? So, you know, like people buy and then they have their sofa for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, right? So like these fancy leather jackets, you know, <clears throat> it's not as big of an, it might be a big investment, but it's not as huge of an investment. If you don't want to have it then tomorrow, you just leave it in your closet and then you pick it out like the day after. So I think there's also a little bit of a different user pattern. I do think what Nest is doing, like, you know, owned by Google now is like interesting and I'm watching it very closely how, you know, companies like Nest are transforming like interest spaces. Like Sonos is another one, you yes, know, like, so, where you, know, you can watch things, how you can listen to things, right. even the materials in the room and how that impacts sound right. and video. And yeah, I'm very, you know, I'm, I th so I'm kind of like very curious of like all of these things. So for example, one thing I never actually had thought about because before I started working at Schumacher and, um, is if you have actually floor covering, like for example, wall to wall of you have a rock, right? It actually takes out a lot of noise out of your room, you know, because like normally if you have hardwood floors, it, the sound reflects. So like the noise level in a room is much higher if you have hardwood floors. So if you have kids and you have hardwood floor or concrete, noise level is going to be much higher. If you put in down a rug, one noise level goes down, which is much better for your stress level, particularly <laughs> if you have kids. So, so, second is um, yeah, it actually absorbs a little bit better like dust. So like, you know, it's actually like, you know, your, um, it's actually, you know, and then you can vacuum it. So it's actually pretty good, like for your health as well. And, and then I got like, it's all of these like material aspects to it, which I find fascinating. And, uh, you know, to live, to think about like materials in the context of where you live and how they enhance your living. Yeah. Did you, I know when we had spoken earlier that you had a very kind of personal view on interior spaces and where it is now and what people should be caring and passionate about with respect to their interior spaces and how they should look at it. Right. Yes. I, you know, we're living in a world where I think like experience and customer experience is kind of like one of these words, which everybody's using. Right. And I feel that to me, isn't like living at home 
the ultimate experience or one of the ultimate experiences. That's where you spend so much time, where so many things happening in your life, life-changing moments happen in your... It's very, very personal. And if you feel about it, we at Schumacher believe, one, that it's a very, very important experience. We don't have to compete necessarily with food or something else, but we think it's a very important experience living in, living and living at home. For that, it's very important that you... And we believe that like design is important for that and that we as we say like at Schumacher great design matters even more because the color like changes and it transforms the space and therefore it transforms the people living in there to better so you know for us we I kind of like sometimes joke and I hope nobody from the fashion industry takes it the wrong way but I think like you know fashion is sometimes a little bit your personal billboard every day you know like you can wake up in the morning and say hey what I do I want to wear today you know today I want to put on a suit tomorrow I want to put on like rather like a rusty leather jacket and uh, your home you cannot change it as fast so your home is a little bit more your soul some people say your home is your castle but the point is like it's it's a very big investment in your lifetime in general and it's very long lasting and it's building over time with all the things you find from your travels from pictures and things like that so you know to be bre and it doesn't have to be Schumacher you know I'm not going to be mad at anybody for buying more Schumacher product, <laughs> but I think it's not actually about that. I think like, you know, it's just more being brave about the space and where you live and being mindful and like really thinking about it or like, you know, asking it into a decorator for some help and or like some other, you know, it's really, it's going to really enhance your life. I think if you come out of your bedroom and you just like walk into your kitchen or living room and you have a great wallpaper, which just like puts a smile on your face, you're just, your day starts better. Absolutely. So our guest just talked about a very personal view about interior spaces and finding your passion. And coming up, you'll discover an even more personal side of Timor with a round of remnants. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. So, Timur, we've covered the business side of things. Now let's kind of get into the good stuff and get to know you a little better. And now, and now it's, it's Remnants. Remnants. So... 50, 75, however many years from now, how do you want to be remembered? What for? I think that's a very difficult question. Honestly, I don't know. I think people, people need to remember me. You know, I'm kind of like, you know, 
fancy titles here and then like, you know, I don't know, history books there. I, you know, if people, they don't, I, I'm happy if they don't remember me. If I had a positive impact that people are going to be brave about how they live and they live like in a conscious way and they just enjoy and embrace it, that's going to be enough for me. You know, I honestly, I. You have obviously a unique uh, accent, <laughs> so uh, in theory, maybe I'm you've trying already to hide it. been remembered in, in other locations. Where is that from, and kind of what's your background? Um, so I'm German. I grew up in a little lake town at the Swiss border. So accent is German as much as I sometimes try to grow out of it, uh, but I'm remembered now and then that I still have it. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, I'm German. My dad is uh, from Turkey. My mom is German. Uh, so hence the name. It's like not a German name. Um, yeah. Have you, and after living in Germany, did you live anywhere else before coming to the... Yeah, I, yeah, I, I lived, uh, uh, I think like uh, eight, 10 months or something in Turkey, a little bit with them um, and went to school when I think it was 16 or 17, just to get to know a little bit that side of my life and my family better. Um, and then during my university times, I did Erasmus in Barcelona, had a blast. Love Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> uh, learned a lot, not so much in university, but in general from life. <laughs> That's uh, life. Uh, I can like, you know, everybody should do that. Um, and then, uh, and then I, um, and then I went back to Germany, I became a consultant, and then I, um, after a couple of years in consulting, I needed a little bit of a break, and I came to New York City, got my MBA here in the city, um, but then decided to go back to join the startup in Berlin. It was a crazy, wild, and exciting time, which I think still is in Berlin anyway, uh, but after Zalando IPO'd, uh, I think end of 14, um, the owning family uh, asked me, you know, to join F. Schumacher and company. And so I came back to the United States in 2015. Great. So you talked a lot about education. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite subject in college or in high school and why? It's actually a question I ask sometimes in interviews, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, not, so right, but, I, right, so, but I'm not prepared to answer it necessarily. <laughs> uh, I think it's, uh, I do love math and I do love color, you know, in general, just, you know, rational things. But I also actually do love like psychology. It's so interesting to think about like, you know, subconsciousness versus subconsciousness, what makes, particularly in the world of design, how do you determine what people love and why do people fall all of a sudden like for blue, for red? Um, you know, I read once a very exciting book from Eric Kandel um, about, you know, like the, how the mind works and how perception of art. It's about like in Vienna. It's a book I can highly recommend. It's very interesting, like how you perceive, you know, your environment and, you know, that um, it's actually what I read in the book, at least I hope I remembered correctly, is that, you know, the, our brain processes the color red faster than any other color because we over time we learned that actually red means danger. So there's a biological reasons to, you know, process red faster than blue, for example. So I, like, I find all of these little bits and pieces actually quite exciting. It's interesting how it turns a circle and it makes you who you are. This is what you Thank liked you. when you were growing up and now you're in understanding much more of color and really influencing people and the color and wallpapers. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you need the math and the, yeah. <laughs> the CEO portion yeah. of it. <laughs> So kind of as you reflect back on all of these experiences and educations and learning personally, professionally, um, any kind of final message, final thought to leave 
our listeners with? So, no, no, I want to be overly wise, um, and I'm also like not 90 years old. So, <laughs> from my last 38 years I spent on this globe, I would say, I think curiosity is very important, and I do think like it you know, also just. I can recommend to everybody now and then like just to go, you know, on the foot of some huge mountains and remember that we're, you know, shouldn't take our over ourselves like too seriously, you know, just look at these mountains and they've they have been around for a bunch of years and they're going to be around for a bunch of years after us. So I think it's this combination of always being curious. I think it's always important of that, you know, rather, you know, we all want to work together. It's much more fun if we work together, together than we work against each other. I always say, like, you know, I'd rather want to grow the pie very big and then it's easier to divide it than, you know, like discussing too much about how to divide the pie before it's actually even baked. Is that right? I don't know. I'm, my English, as you remember, is not as great. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think like it's I think it's that combination is like it's curiosity, it's humbleness, and it's just like, you know, emphasizing on working together. That's great. And how can, in the spirit of working together, everybody reach out to you and get in contact with you and with Schumacher? Yeah, you know, I think we one, I think, like, we're always open to hire, like, great people. I think, you know, there's always, like, you know, need for that. Uh, I think we're looking for craftsmen, particularly in the, in the world of interior designs or other, you know, people who are just up to something exciting. The best way to reach me is probably through my LinkedIn profile and, um, yeah, basically my name, Timur Yumusakler, and then contact me, and I'm normally pretty good at, um, you know, replying to any serious inquiries. Thank you so much, Timur, for joining us. Well, thank we really you guys. appreciate it. Yeah, it's so much fun. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you for listening. And for Samantha Cortez. Adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Thank you for joining us and back next time. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.